As you're turning to Proverbs chapter 28, go ahead and get Ecclesiastes 7. We'll try to get several different places in the Bible together tonight. Ecclesiastes 7, though, is the verse that I thought of in looking at the verses we'll look at in, in the book of Proverbs tonight. But Ecclesiastes chapter 7, the Bible says in verse number 8, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So when I looked at these verses tonight, it's talking about the end of things and the wisdom of considering the end of something instead of the beginning of it. So many times we're looking at just what's in front of us instead of looking at the end of something. And wisdom says to look at the end of things, not the beginning of things. And we have to have patience to do that. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So if we're not patient to wait, then the problem is that we can't wait on the Lord. And many times... We get in a hurry and we get involved in things or make decisions that aren't pleasing to God. And things turn out a lot worse than we thought at the end when we made our decision. So in Proverbs 28, I see a a chord that runs through some, some of these verses about the wisdom at looking at the end of things instead of the beginning of it. We'll start reading verse number 8 together. We've looked at a few of these verses already, but Proverbs 28... And verse number 8 is where we'll begin. The Bible says, He that by usury and unjust gain increaseth his substance, he shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. Whoso causeth the righteous to go astray in an evil way, He shall fall himself into his own pit, but the upright shall have good things in possession. The rich man is wise in his own conceit, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth him out. When righteous men do rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, a man is hidden. He that covereth his his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and Forsaketh them shall have mercy. Happy is the man that feareth alway, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. As a roaring lion, as a ranging bear, so is a wicked ruler over the poor people. The prince that wanteth understanding is also a great oppressor, but he that hateth covetousness shall prolong his days. A man that doeth violence to the blood of any person shall flee to the pit. Let no man stay him. Whoso walketh uprightly shall be saved, but he that is perverse in his ways shall fall at once. He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. To have respect of persons is not good, for for a piece of bread... That man will transgress. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye and considereth not that poverty shall come upon 
him. When we start in verse number eight, he begins talking about money. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of things that are coming up even on our plate about covetousness. He mentions the word covetous in verse number 16, where he says, He that hateth covetousness shall prolong his days. And uh, I think all of us in America are probably bit with this problem of substance and gain in our lives. And verse number 8 says this, He that by usury and unjust gain increaseth his substance, he shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. In other words, this guy that continues to heap riches upon himself, whether it's through an exorbitant charge of usury, which is just charging somebody interest on something, or if it's unjust gain, maybe he uh, had some price gouging going on or used unjust market practices to get ahead or sell things or or be a little bit... Um, um, I was going to say smecker, but I'm not in Romania, but I don't know, my, that culture is just so rooted in that. It's just how, how they deal with things that are, that are corrupt to get an advantage of somebody else. And he says, this guy that's trying to get all of this gain, whether it's by uh, usury or whether it's by something unjust, he's going to get all this stuff, but at the end of the day, he says in verse 8, he's not going to gather it for himself. He's going to get all this stuff and somebody else is going to get it. God's going to make sure what he prospered in in an unjust way, God's going to take it and give it to somebody else that's going to do right with it. And so as I begin thinking about usury, look at that, he that by usury. Now what's wrong with usury? Even Jesus said, and we'll look at that verse in just a minute, but Jesus said, you know, if I give you my money when I come back, I at least want usury out of it. Usury. What's usury? Well, it's interest. It's an interest rate, all right? And we know interest rates are going what? Up. And a lot of times people take advantage of that situation. Uh, you know, some of the most unjust thing in, things in this world is when they somebody's in a hard way, a bad financial way, and they will take their credit cards and their debt and they'll put 18, 19, 20... I mean, some of the percentages are insane. Uh, when I was out in the Navajo Reservation, he was saying how most of the people out there, they can't afford, they can't afford a car. And uh, that if a Navajo can get enough money to go buy a car, that they'll go, they'll go off the reservation to a dealership. And the dealership, because they're a Navajo, he gave me one figure that they, he said charge them 38% interest on a vehicle. I mean, you know what that is? That's greed. That, that, that's not business. That's greed. That's taking advantage of somebody that doesn't have any other opportunity or doesn't know any better about what you're doing to them. But now, there's nothing wrong with just getting interest, okay? Because Jesus said, when I give you something, I ought to get interest back. I mean, we, we don't appreciate it. Now we put our money in the bank, and the bank takes our money, and they give it out, and they make money on it, and we're at least supposed to get some interest, some usury back. That, that's not an evil thing. But it can be used as an evil tool. Now, why is he talking about usury in the Old Testament here in the book of Proverbs? Because there was one thing God told his people not to do with usury. About charging people interest. Would you go over there to the book of Deuteronomy with me and look at what God said in his law to his people? And I think this is probably what's been uh, 
misused and the judgment that is going upon this man in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 23, if you'd look there with me. We talked about this matter, actually, if you were with us all the way back in Nehemiah chapter 5, when we went, we were going through the book of Nehemiah early on, and we talked about that same thing that was going on in Nehemiah chapter 5 with their brethren. I want you to look at these verses. They're, they're, they're astounding to me. Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse... Well, well, I'm looking at verse 19, but the first verse at the top of my page is verse 17. So i got to read that because I live in 2022. Now, if, if you want a scripture verse to put on your house and somebody will burn it down, here it is. Deuteronomy 23, 17. There shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. What a verse. You know, hey, we don't have to be arrogant. All you have to do is read the Bible to people. You know, all you have to do is do that. We need to keep reading those verses. Amen. It's part of the Bible. Verse 18. Thou shalt not bring the hire of a whore. Well, they don't use that word much anymore either, do they? But I'm not preaching on that tonight, so I've got to keep reading the verse. Or the price of a dog in the house of the Lord, thy God, for any vow, for even both these are abomination of the Lord thy God. Now look verse 19 with me. Thou shalt not lend upon usury to thy brother. Usury of money, usury of victuals, usury of anything that is lent upon usury. Now watch it, 20. Unto a stranger thou mayest lend upon usury. But unto thy brother thou shalt not lend upon usury, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all that thou settest thine hand to in the land whither thou goest to possess it. Do you see the principle in the Old Testament for his saints back there? You need to treat your brethren in a very special way. You need to treat them as part of your family and you ought not take... Any advantage, or you ought not even try to make money on your brethren. I think that's, that's an Old Testament principle, but I think that's a good principle. Amen. I mean, business practices are fine, but you know, when you get in the church, you, you, you better make sure that you treat your brethren, I mean, just as, just as much as you would treat your own personal, immediate blood family. Because our, we are, we are in the family of God. And God looks upon us how we interact with one another. We should never take advantage of a situation with our brethren. And Nehemiah just raked them over the coals for that because there were some that had some in the family of God in Nehemiah and some that were poor and those that had were taking advantage of those that didn't have. And uh, God wasn't pleased with that. And so when he's talking about this exorbitant usury or maybe usury to a brother in the family of God... He's saying, what, you're, what I'm going to do to you is if you gather that money in an unjust way, then I'm going to take what you have and I'm going to give it to him, the Bible says, that will pity the poor. That will pity the poor. In other words, God, hold on to your seat now. God believes in the redistribution of wealth. Here's, here's his redistribution of wealth. If you have been unjust in your life, if you have been covetous in your life, then at the end of the day, remember this whole lesson is about wisdom for the end of things, 
Not the wisdom at the beginning to get all I can and can all I get. But the wisdom at the end of the thing. God says this, if you gather all that and you're covetous and you've not pleased me and you've not treated people right, I tell you what I'm doing, I'm going to take all that gain and I'm going to give it to somebody that will pity the poor. You know what he's actually saying? I'm going to give it to somebody that's going to give it away. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to take what you have tried to lay up and I'm going to give it to somebody else who will actually use it in pity for someone else. I'd say this, probably the, one of the only reasons to get gain besides being an honest person and taking care of your family is so that you can give. It's so that you can give. And if it's any other reason, God's got a way of seeing our motives and the stuff that we get, he can, he can redistribute that. He can take, matter of fact, hold your finger there. I told you we're going to go to, I was going to read you the verse that Jesus said about usury. It's strange. It, it mentions this very fact. Look at Luke 19. Maybe Jesus had this proverb on his mind when he said this in Luke chapter 19. Now, now I, I, we're going to go to Psalm 73 in a minute because David said, I don't always see this, God. I'm looking at people that are making a lot of money and it looks like, and they're wicked and they're evil. It doesn't look like that, uh, that, that you're redistributing anything, that it's not fair. I'm trying to live for God. And I don't see all that. But we'll read that verse in a minute. But look at Luke chapter 19. He says in verse number 23, you know the story. He give, give, gives these talents, these pounds to these people. And uh, they don't all do right with what God gives them. Luke 19, verse 23, Jesus said, Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound and give it to him that hath ten pounds. You know what that is? That's redistribution of wealth. Take away what he's got and go give it to that guy that's got 10 pounds. Why? Because the guy that got 10 pounds is going to do something with it. He's not just going to store it up and hoard it up for himself. And I'm telling you, God will give through you what he'll never give to you. And if if we don't make our lives a channel, if you ever make yourself a dam where you just dam it all up and keep it all, you're going to have the most stagnant life. And there's no reason for God to keep blessing you. If it's just all going to be about you. You know the majority of people that hoard up all that and have what they have. You know at the end of the day, some other idiot gets it and spends it. Isn't that true? I mean, at the end of the day, all that hard work and all that savings and all those things that mattered so much to, to, to the individual. And now a family member or somebody get, comes along and gets it and it doesn't matter. Hmm. So we need to make sure that our lives are not being run by covetousness. That what we gain in life we're using for his glory and for his work. Instead of just trying to can it away. Because God can just as easily take that and give it to somebody else. That'll do right by it. Look at Psalm 73. David had that dilemma going on. In his heart. Psalm 73. 
Psalm 73 and verse number 3. The Bible says, David, or this is Psalm of Asaph, I'm sorry. He said, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Drop down to verse number 12. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their what? Their end. Their end. You know, probably the end of all of the wealth in this world, and even really in their lives of people that are covetous and their life's all about gain, it doesn't end well. Even if they have a lot of money in the bank, it doesn't end well. It ends with broken lives and broken hearts. But if we will not be that one that's trying to just gain, go back to our text, but we'll have wisdom. Wisdom says, hey, what God's given to me, he's given to me to use. He's given to me to help. He's given to me to give. That's what he said in the New Testament. Told us that that he may have to give. Proverbs chapter 28, he says in verse number 11. We've already looked at some of these verses we've read tonight. Drop down to verse 11. The rich man is wise in his own conceit. But the poor that hath understanding searcheth him out. The poor guy, he can see right through the rich guy that has the glitter, the facade on the outside, and he can search him out and know that everything's not great, though he has a lot of riches. But I tell you, some of the most miserable people in the world have, have more than anything in the world. And, and to be honest with you, I think, I think Americans are some of the most miserable people in the world. I really do. I think American society, people are miserable. That's why they have so many therapists. That's why they just can't get through life. And they have more than so, the majority of everybody in the world. That's just a lesson that riches, don't set your heart on riches. That's not the substance of life. That's not going to make you happy. And a poor man can see through that. I met poor people that were just as happy and satisfied as a pig in slop, man. I mean, they're just, they're just happy with their life and. The poor man searcheth that rich man out. But look at verse 11 again. The rich man is wise in his own conceit. The rich man's not wise. He just, he thinks he's wise. He, he's so high-minded that he, he's not teachable. He's wise in his own conceits. Rich people are conceited as a rule. Not, I mean, there could be, it's not because they're rich, by the way. It's because their heart's set on, on their riches. I mean, Abraham was rich, but he was one of the most humble men in the Bible. Riches don't have to make you a conceited person. They just do 90% of the time. And without Jesus Christ, you will be conceited as a rich person. Because only the humility of Christ can, can keep us humble, you see. But a rich man is wise in his own conceits. You can't teach him anything. That's why 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, he says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. The rich is wise in his own conceits. Can, can I just be honest with you? Americans are rich. We are all rich. We're rich. 
And you say, I'm not rich. No, you're, you're comparing yourself to, to uh, Bezos. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. You're comparing yourself to the elite people in the, in the world. Most Americans do not think they're rich because they've never been anywhere. If you would go to Venezuela tonight, you'll, you would come back saying, I'm rich. And that's not that far away. If you went to Haiti tonight, you would be overwhelmed of how people live. If you would just probably pick just about any African, uh, my son and I we were looking at, at African countries and trying to find some, some more missionaries in places. You know, there's, a, there's so many African countries, they're not any missionaries any, there at all. And a lot of that has to do with Islam, but there's, just, there's nobody there. You go to the average Af- African country, just pick one, throw a dart at it, and you went over there. You'd come back saying, I, I, am, I am rich. Yeah. Brother Adam Thomas was telling about they took a trip over there to Malawi, and, and they were giving away their shoes off their feet, their jackets. I'm talking about the pastor because he's looking at guys that don't have anything that have nothing, and they're trying to pastor people and have absolutely nothing, hardly. You're rich, and I know we're all programmed in our brain to think that we're not, but you're, you're really rich. And you ought not feel, I'm not trying to make you feel bad about that, but I will say this about it. Quit being conceited. Rich people are conceited. You say, preacher, I'm not conceited. I'd probably say... We're probably all of us in here a little bit conceited. You know, it's hard to tell a rich person anything. You ever tried to counsel or advise or correct a rich person? I guarantee you that the nasty email we got about that flyer, I bet that did not come from uh, the poor part of town. Are you listening to me? I've not even looked it up, but I, I could just about promise you it did not you're not going to tell a rich person anything and this is a problem as as americans because we're so blessed and we're so rich a lot of times we won't let god tell us anything we won't let god correct us we won't let god rebuke us or reprove us because you know when somebody's so poor as job's turkey they don't have a problem being corrected they don't have a problem with someone else teaching them usually because they know they have a need it's rich people that don't see they have a need. And I'd say every one of us in here are rich enough that we probably need to humble ourselves a little more and say, God, I don't want to be wise in my own conceits. You're the God of wisdom. And Lord, without you, I don't know anything. Would you please teach me and help me? I guarantee you, you can see that in kids and young people and teenagers and little children in America. They got all the toys in the world. They got all the stuff in the world. And they have a good life, and that's great. But it's hard to teach children that have everything. It's just wrapped up in that problem, that covetousness and materialism brings in all of our lives. And so he said in verse 11, he, the rich man is wise in his own conceit. 
And he doesn't have the understanding about the end of, of the way and the end of a thing. Look at down at verse number 20. Verse number 20, the Bible says, A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. Somebody that's, that can't wait for God to bless them. They have got to, they, they can't wait to, for, for the blessings of God to come in their life and just be faithful. A faithful man shall abound with blessing. No, they can't be faithful and wait for the good things to come. They gotta go out and get them. And in their haste and in their impatience and in their lack of wisdom, they shall not be innocent. They're gonna have a lot of guilt in their life that comes because they couldn't wait. Mm. You know, if you get rich because you've worked hard and you've had a good motive of life and God's blessed you because you've been faithful over many years, praise the Lord. But if you just can't wait to get rich and you just got to have more and, gotta, and you got to have it right now, you're going to fall into the biggest pit that ever was. And that's the trap of, of covetousness. The haste to be rich. I can't wait on the blessing. I got to have it now. When he says that the faithful man shall abound with blessings. You know, if you'll be faithful to God, he'll bless you. And that's where he said over in, where he tells us over there in chapter 10, verse 22. He says, uh, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. It's God's blessing that makes you rich. So what we need to do is just be faithful to God. Let him bless us. If he wants to give us more, let him give us more. But what we're after is not the riches. What we're after is the blessing of God. And that's, that's true about everything in life. If you're hasty to go get whatever you're trying to get in life, but you're not hasty to try to get the blessing of God in your life, you're going to always come up short. If you're after the blessing of God, if you're faithful to God, He'll bless you. And so instead of worrying about getting more or figuring this out, we need to worry about being more faithful. Because... A faithful man shall abound with blessings. And see, it takes faith to believe that. If I'll be, if I'll be faithful, if I'll do right, at the end of the day, God's going to bless me and take, take care of me. And I don't have to make my own way. God will make my way for me. I just have to be faithful to him. But so many times people make decisions in their life not based on the faithfulness of God, but what they think is in their best interest. You know what's in your best interest? Being faithful to God. Because you need the blessing of God more than you need anything that you think you want. And this rich man, he doesn't care about that. He just is hasty to be rich. Look at verse 22, sort of repeats the same thing. Proverbs 28, 22. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye. Jesus spoke of the evil eye over there in Mark chapter 7, verse 22. An evil eye, an eye that doesn't see things right, just see things wrong all the time. Somebody that's a covetous person, everything they, everything they see is, is skewed. It's, it's not right. It doesn't look right. Life doesn't even look right. When you're a covetous, life doesn't look right and eternity doesn't look right and the things of God doesn't look right. Because he that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye. Everything is changed by your your view of life, of materialism. It is not a sin to be rich. It is not a sin. 
But if you're hasty to be rich, then God says you've got an evil eye. And the opposite of that evil eye, look over there at chapter 22 of Proverbs, I would say is a bountiful eye. I don't want an evil eye, I want a bountiful eye. He said in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 9, Proverbs 22 and verse number 9, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. There it is again. That's the cure for covetousness and materialism, is being a giver. If you've got a bountiful eye, you won't have an evil eye. Look, guys, we are not, we don't push giving to missions just for one reason. We push giving to missions and sacrificing because we think people that are going to hell, that is a more important thing than whatever I could enjoy with the money I have. That's one reason. We also do it because we believe it pleases God. But you know what, what else it does? It helps the way you look at things. It helps you. It helps your heart. The cure for covetousness is to be a giver. To have a bountiful eye instead of an evil eye. That's true about life in general. If you're just a taker and you're never a giver, and I'm not just talking about your money, I'm talking about yourself, then everything is just always miserable and it never works out. But if you're a giver of your money, of your life, of your time, the bounty and the blessing of God and how it helps your heart. It's just, I I preach missions conferences. When I go out of town, 95% of the time I'm preaching a missions conference. And this is what I notice in churches, and I tell them. I tell them this, you know, people that are good givers, you can tell it on their face. And then you can tell who old grumpy drawers is. I tell them that. You can tell old grumpy drawers a mile away. And he's so grumpy like that because, amen, he's a penny pincher and he's not a giver. He doesn't have a bountiful heart for God or for anybody else. And it's just infected and killed and destroyed his life. Hmm. So praise God, let's just just give another 100,000. Amen. And hey, by the way, that is probably the only good motivation to be rich. I'm, I'm, I'm in for God making me rich. I'm ready for it. I know exactly what I'm going to do with it. I'll probably never have it. But if I ever, if, if I, yeah, if I hit the jackpot, amen, there are some missionaries that are going to get a bounty. There are some works of God that are going to get done. That's the only motivation for having more. What do I need more for? I got something to eat, something to drink, a place to sleep. I'm content. I get a new car. It gets old. Get bored with it just like you get bored with everything else that's new. Yeah. Amen. Get a new house. Well, you'll be bored with that soon enough. Get a new husband, new wife. No, no, I'm just saying. 
Guys, can, can y'all think with me just a little bit? The things that we put on our, heart, our hearts on and then we get them, and then the luster wears off pretty fast. But giving's not that way. It affects my heart and it fills my life with the good bounty of the Lord. And when I consider, the Bible says, He that hates to be rich hath an evil eye and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. Again, he's talking about the end of this guy. He's wanting to be so rich. He's wanting all this stuff. But the end of him is just going to be poverty. It's not going to enrich his life. Well, there's one other thing. Not just the end of being covetous. The end of those that will hurt the righteous. Would you go to verse 10? I've got just a few minutes left. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 10. Whoso causeth the righteous to go astray in an evil way, he shall fall himself into his own pit. But the upright shall have good things in possession. There is a judgment that's waiting for those who try to entrap or entice or deceive or to lead astray or to hurt people that are trying to go in the right way. They're the righteous, but somebody that's trying to lead them astray in an evil way. There is a judgment of God waiting upon them in a pit that they're going to fall into. Now notice, he's not saying that they're trying to lead sinners astray. Sinners are already going astray. But I'm telling you what, there is a concerted movement of the devil to knock righteous people out of the right way. There are people in place. There are devils at work. Not working on the drug addict, not working on the people that never darken the church door, but working on people just like you that are righteous, that want to do right. There is some devil, there is some other medium in the way trying to entrap you, to ensnare you, to lead you astray, to get you out of the right way. That's who the devil's after. And God says the people that the devil uses to do that, they're going to fall into their own pit. And I'm glad for that. Just like verse 17, those people that doing violence to the blood of a person, any person shall flee to the pit. He said in, in Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 27, whoso diggeth the pit shall fall therein. Somebody that's trying to harm, somebody that really wants to do right. Look, God doesn't pay on Friday, but be not deceived and God is not mocked. If, if somebody is trying to turn somebody right out of the right way into an evil way, there is a judgment of God of, of hurting that righteous person. But he says the upright in heart shall have good things in possession. God has something at the end that's always worth it. It's always worth it to do right. It's always worth it. It's not, it's not worth it to do evil, but it's always worth it to do right. And guys, sometimes we, sometimes we don't see how it's worth it. And so sometimes we don't make a right decision because we're making it based on right now. And God says you need to consider the end of the thing. And you need to do right and the upright shall have good things in possession. You keep doing right, there's good things. There's good things ahead. You know, even if there's bad things in your life, there'll be good things ahead if you'll do right. Yeah. He'll work all things together for good. But you got to love him. You got to do right. And he'll work it out for good. 
and the good things that you'll have in possession. You can't count that. He said in 1 Corinthians 2, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. You can't even imagine the things that God has prepared for you if you'll just do right. Bob Jones Sr. said, just do right till the stars fall. Just do right. If nobody else is doing right, do right. Even if you don't see the benefit, if you don't get anything out of it, just do right. Wisdom tells you that. Looking at the end of the thing. Not sometimes the present. Verse number 12. When righteous men do rejoice, there's great glory. But when the wicked rise, a man is hidden. Now these righteous men are rejoicing because they're not rejoicing over evil. They're rejoicing over over good things. But when he says this about the righteous rejoicing, then he turns it around and says, but when the wicked rise. In other words, when the wicked rise to power, the righteous aren't in power, but the wicked's risen to power, then people start hiding themselves. A man is hidden. In other words, when the wicked rise, people get hurt, and, and righteous people have to run and hide. He said in Hebrews eleven thirty eight, they hid in caves, in dens. They hid prophets in caves because Ahab was in charge. When the wicked is on in authority, then people are having to hide there. But when the righteous are rejoicing, when the righteous are in authority, then people are, are rejoicing in what a wonderful day. That's why we have to have right. We need righteous leaders, not wicked leaders. But guys, it's not just Ahab and it's not just Rome. I mean, God's people were hiding themselves when they were... When they were killing Christians through Rome, uh, you know, imperial Rome, and then also the Roman Catholic, uh, in the Holy Roman Empire, as they would call it, as the, God's people had to hide themselves. And in the future, the Antichrist is going to go after the, uh, the Jewish people, and the Bible says they'll have to take wings and fly in the wilderness to go hide in the wilderness. When those wicked are... But, but there's a price. There's a price for those wicked authorities that that go after the upright and you need to consider the end of the thing you know i don't when i look at the end of america the end of the of america there's no doubt what it will be but as long as there are righteous people we need to rejoice as long as we're gathered together to rejoice to a righteous Savior and a righteous out, we need to rejoice. But the people that are in charge of this nation that have risen to power are wicked. And I hate to say it, I don't, I, it don't even matter who's up there. They're, they're, they're so wicked up there. And maybe... Maybe the hiding's not over. But you know a good place to hide? A good place to hide is in Jesus. A good place to hide is in the rock. A good place to hide is in the truth. A good place to hide your family would be with the people of God. All around the world, there are people, there are Christian people that are hiding for their lives. You know what? They're sticking together. They're hiding in little groups because the wicked have risen.
But God's, the end of that wicked rising to power, the end of it is people have to hide. But the end of that righteous is just rejoicing. So let's have the wisdom to look at the end of a thing and not just the beginning.